Hey, Jacob's Well Online. I have a weird question for you today. Have you ever been to a corporate meet and greet? If you have, you're probably already cringing inside. I'm talking about the kind of leadership training or maybe a team building exercise where you all show up, they, the company books um, a hotel conference room and you guys show up that morning and there's donuts. And so you end up with a stale donut in one hand and then a cup of Folgers in the other that's either remarkably underbrewed or way too overbrewed. And then they give you these lovely, hello, my name is stickers, so you could just plaster that on right here so everyone knows your name. There's not a single person in that building, in that room, who's there, who showed up that day because they thought it sounded like a fun time, right? No, no one chooses this. It's, it's mandatory. And they really are, if you've been there, they are the most wonderfully awkward things to be a part of. Everybody shuffles in and they're hoping for a slough off day, but then somebody gets on the microphone and says, hey, let's all split up into breakout groups. And they separate you from your coworkers, you know, the ones you actually know and the ones you like. And then you have to go meet with the people from another district and you get to have this mingling time. I feel like I can hear the groans through the camera right now. I've had the distinct pleasure of being a breakout leader for a few of these moments. And they always suggest that you walk in, you go in with a plan, you go in with an icebreaker. So I stick with the old standby, okay, this question, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? I started using this back when I was a camp counselor with middle school students, of course, it would work for their age group. But then one day I found out that it's weirdly really funny when you ask adults this question, because then you end up with this guy from HR and somebody else from accounting and they start arguing like tiny little children over which one of their powers is better. And then of course, the greatest joy of asking this question is you get to make fun of anybody that chooses invisibility and they don't immediately realize that that makes them sound very strange. The question is super silly. It, it's weird. And it's because as far as we know, these superpowers aren't something that we have any access to. It's just, we're just imagining here. You know, I, I, don't, I don't imagine that I could just spontaneously start to float, start to lift off the ground and take off like Superman or that I could teleport to the Caribbean. But if we lived during the time of Peter and John and Philip, then maybe we would feel differently. We've been studying this book of Acts, and throughout the whole thing, it is full of stories of ordinary people like you and like me that were taking part in the miraculous. The supernatural was breaking through. They were watching demons be cast out of people. They were watching the sick healed. They saw the dead come back to life. And not just one person, but, but many of these Christ followers at this time when God is establishing his church, power is, is, is spreading and it is moving. So a question I have for you today is if you believed, if you thought for even a moment that you could have access to that same kind of power, what would you do? What would you be willing to do? That brings us to Acts chapter 8. Last week, we learned a, a very somber and, and painful story of Stephen, the first martyr. The church had been growing and things had been going well, and they'd faced a little bit of opposition and oppression, but, but here we have the first person who has died for his faith in Jesus, but, but he went out with such a beautiful message and such a 
beautiful way to demonstrate the love of Christ through his life and even through his death. And now at the beginning of chapter 8, it tells us that a great wave of persecution began that day. Starting with the death of Stephen, all of a sudden people were hunting down Christians. And it had this effect, kind of a remarkable effect, that the believers, the Christians in Jerusalem, in the capital city, were then scattered. They started to spread out. They started to go to the region of Judea, to the rest of the nation. And then they even went to Samaria. If you remember the words of Jesus, he told them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would take this message, this gospel, into Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and eventually to the rest of the world. And I want to point out something important here. This was a horrible time for the church. They were facing persecution. People they knew and they loved were dying. It would have seemed so impossibly hard, but God is doing something necessary in this moment. He is taking something so broken and so painful and he is turning it for good and he is bringing about something beautiful. We see it here in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. But the believers who were scattered they, they began to preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They didn't just leave the capital city, but no, the Holy Spirit was empowering them and filling them up, and he sent them out with the spirit of evangelism to go and let people know about Jesus. So they spread out into the rest of the country. They go into even Samaria, but they're not just doing it in hiding. No, they're empowered and they're emboldened, and they are sharing the gospel about Jesus everywhere that they went. And then we get to this character of Philip. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Philip is one of the seven uh, deacons that we learned about two weeks ago, right? There was that issue about the widows who were being treated unfairly. There was the Jewish widows and then there was the Hellenistic widows and they weren't getting distributed food evenly. So the apostles set these seven guys, these seven deacons over this to be responsible for this, to take care of these women. And one of the seven was Philip. And another one was Stephen, the one who had just died for his faith. And so now his, his friend, his brother in this, in this organization, he is going out and he goes right to the city of Samaria and he tells them about the Messiah. He tells them about Jesus. And the crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims so there was great joy in that city. This is a big deal. Throughout the book of Acts, and back when we were talking about Galatians, we've, we've been pointing out, we've been reminding everyone that Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. There was intense um, um, feelings about one another. The, G the Jews would look at the Samaritans and they would say horrible things about them, biased things, racist things, looking at them as half-breeds as people that once belonged to the northern kingdom of Israel and then had intermarried with the nations around them. They saw this as despicable. They saw this as wrong. And so as much as they maybe looked at the Gentiles around them and other nations in a cruel sense, for the Samaritans, they had a very specific history and a very painful view of them. But here we see Philip, something remarkable in him. When he leaves Jerusalem, he goes right to the city of Samaria. One thing that is cool about that story of the seven deacons and this issue of feeding the widows was we see their heart for compassion. The whole point of that was that the Jewish widows were being treated better 
than the Greek widows. And these deacons were all about compassion. They were about equality. They were about making sure that everyone was treated fairly. And we see that heart. We see that desire inside of Philip as he goes to Samaria to let them know, to speak to them, to talk about Jesus. And as he goes, it's accompanied by miracles. It's accompanied by the supernatural power of God breaking through. See, the gospel in this moment is breaking into a new people group, one that would have shocked the Jewish believers. And the miracles that are happening in this story are very important. For one, God is displaying his power here in this brand new mission field. He's showing his strength. It's lending credibility to the words and the message that Philip is speaking. We actually see this over and over again in the book of Acts, that every time the gospel breaks into a new people group, it is accompanied by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power. We saw this at Pentecost when God was was outpouring his, his, his Holy Spirit onto the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. Now we see it here in Samaria as God is including more people into the family of God, into his kingdom. And we're going to continue to see this when we get to the Gentiles. So this is all happening. He's, he's sharing this message. People are watching miracles. They're amazed. They were enamored. And they weren't the only ones. It's at this part of the story that we meet a character who the rest of this kind of rotates around. It it, it focuses on, I'm going to call him the great one. Here in verse 9, we learn about Simon. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone who was great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. Like, notice this title. That's not a small thing to say about anybody. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Simon the sorcerer had built quite a reputation. He had amazed the people. It says that he astounded them with his magic and he let them know that this power that he had, it meant something. It stood for something. He claimed that he was a great man. And the people of Samaria, they bought it. They fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. They began to call him the great one, the power of God. And like I said, that's not a small title. With a title like that, they probably viewed Simon as a great prophet at the very least. Their very own prophet who traveled to them and had such incredible power. But that title is actually messianic. It's a messianic title speaking of the Christ. So they might have even saw him in such a way that he was like the promised Messiah. So this guy had a huge reputation. He was so honored. But what's important to know about him is he was a charlatan. He was manipulating the people. He was using his tricks whether illusions, whether powered by demonic forces. It doesn't tell us exactly, but what we know here is he enjoyed the attention and he enjoyed and did not correct them on the title of being the very power of God. But then we see something powerful. Philip is here and he is talking and he's sharing and we see in verse 12, it says, But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. I love the emphasis here. 
right? We just learned that they had been so captured. They'd been spellbound by the power of the sorcerer. They were so interested in Simon and what he did, giving him these incredible accolades. But now they've seen something different, something new, something that is greater. They've come to believe Philip's message about the gospel. They were watching demons flee and impossible healings take place. All of this was on a completely different scale than anything that Simon could do, than his parlor tricks. No, they're watching real power here. But this is what I love about the emphasis. With Simon, they were amazed by his show, by his display, by what he could do. But this time, it was the message, it was the good news behind the power, the message and the truth behind the display of power that actually captured their hearts. There was real, genuine transformation and change happening as these Samaritans, as this people group that were considered so other, are being brought in and being loved. And so we're starting to see people put their faith in and and become baptized, but they weren't the only ones. Then Simon, the sorcerer, himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. There's a lot here about trying to understand what his motivations were and what drove him, and I think we see it right here in this word, amazed. If we look at at, at Simon, we start to see um, a, a pattern emerge. The people were amazed by Simon. They were astounded by his magic, but now it's Simon who is the one who is amazed by the power that he sees Philip demonstrating. See, that's it. That's his core driving motivation. He's a performer. He wants to enthrall his audience. He wants them to stand in awe of his power, but when he sees what Philip can do, He's attracted to it like a moth to a flame. He's, he's, he's not um, uh, looking at, at Philip's power as if it's uh, something to be compet- competitive with or something that he's against. No, instead, he, can, he knows real power when he sees it. He was willing to do anything for a chance to have it. So he believes, he's baptized, and then word starts to spread. When the apostles back in Jerusalem, heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John there. Again, this is not a small thing. The way that Jews would have viewed Samaritans, to hear that the gospel had gone there and that people were accepting it and powerful things were happening, they needed to go see for themselves. They needed to to make sure that this was real and true. And so they traveled there. And as soon as they arrived, They prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Kind of an interesting thing here. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. This passage has a lot in it. We could probably spend a whole sermon, if not a series, unpacking all the things that are here. But the thing that I really want to um, show and to demonstrate today is that What we're seeing happen is the gospel is spreading into a completely new people group. And every single time that this happens in the book of Acts, it it is accompanied by a work of the Holy Spirit. If you think back to Pentecost, right? We knew then that we had the disciples of Jesus. Were they believers? Were they saved? Yes. 
They knew him. They walked with him. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They absolutely believed in Jesus. But then he told them to wait and to pray and to anticipate the coming of the Holy Spirit on them. And that's what we see on the day of Pentecost. We see the Holy Spirit come upon them in such a powerful way that really shows that the power of God has spread among the Jewish people and that something new has happened. And now, in this moment when we see the gospel for the first time break into the Samaritans and starting to bring healing and, and, and restoration, we see people who were baptized in the name of Jesus, who had put their faith in God, who believed in the kingdom, who believed in the name of Jesus. But then there was a waiting time until Peter and John showed up and laid their hands. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them, again, ushering in this moment of power. So we saw it at Pentecost. We see it here very soon. We're going to see it happen with the Gentiles as well. This moment when the Holy Spirit shows that the kingdom is spreading, that inclusion is happening. It's beautiful. But again, to our character, Simon, he sees this. He's there. He is watching. He's been following Philip. He's so amazed by what is happening, by this power that is even more real than the one that he has. He sees this happen when Peter and John lay their hands upon these people and they receive the Holy Spirit. So it says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have the power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. See, this is what he was waiting for. This is his big chance, his driving motivation, this pursuit of supernatural power. He'd been following Philip everywhere, watching and waiting for the opportunity to seize it for himself, to be able to also do the things that he watched Philip do. And then Peter responds to him in a very, very strong way in verse 20. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Not a small thing, not a small rebuke. And you can see the fear that Simon was feeling here in 24 when he says, pray to the Lord for me, Simon explained, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. Wow. Peter is deadly serious here in this moment. And it's important to remember the point of history that we are at, why he was so intense. The church is in its infancy Right? And now God has just done something. He's blown their minds as he shows the inclusion of the Samaritans into his kingdom. They've become brothers and sisters with the Jewish believers. God is, is explaining to them that there is now equality amongst all of them. They're, they're watching this. They're amazed. And it is incredibly important. Peter feels this, and I believe speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him, it is incredibly important that these new children of God, that this young church understands that the power of the Holy Spirit is not a small thing. It is not something that can be bought. It is not something that can be manipulated. It is not a power to, to, to elevate us or our status. There's an important message, not just that was being given here to Simon, but for you and I today as well. Miracles 
always serve a purpose. The supernatural happens, it breaks through for a specific purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. It's to make his name greater, to draw people to him, to help them see their need for a savior and a relationship with him. It's to make his name great, not ours. It's not about our status. It's not about our reputation. It never was designed that way and it never could be. I think an example of this would be Moses. We think of of a miracle that happened when Moses parted the Red Sea, right? And God is rescuing the Jewish people out of Egypt. But when he parted the Red Sea, it wasn't to demonstrate that he was remarkably spiritual or that he was so close to God, he he has powers, he has abilities now. No, that's not it at all. In fact, it wasn't his power at all. It wasn't Moses' strength or his ability. No, this was God who made that happen, and he did it because he chose to rescue his people from Egypt. He was making his name great. He was drawing that nation to him so that they would see that they needed their God and their rescuer. Actually, even in that story of Moses, I love that when God tells him to lift up his staff, it doesn't all happen in a moment. If you watch the Charlton Heston movie, right, we see him lift a staff and then all of a sudden the water just like rockets up and it's these giant walls. But no, it tells us that Moses held on to this staff and it took hours and the waters ebbed away and they separated. And I'm sure that Moses didn't look particularly impressive. Again, because it wasn't about him. The miracle was happening independently. It was all about God and about his power. See, the Holy Spirit is not there for us to wield it. He's not a power for us to wield, but a helper for us to surrender to. Peter's rebuke was a harsh warning to Simon, and and it poses a critically important question for you and I. Please think about this. What do you want out of your relationship with Jesus? What do you want out of your relationship with Jesus? With Jesus, do you long for him, for his presence, to really know his heart? Or do you really only care about the things that he can do for you, that he could deliver, that he can make your life better? What can we get out of the deal? We, we don't want to think or imagine that that's true of our hearts, but it's so easy for it to get twisted And we can come to him in prayer and we can try to to manipulate the situation and think, oh, if I only pray hard enough, if I only want it and wish it hard enough, then he has to do it, right? He has to do it. Ignoring and missing that our God is sovereign, that he is a good, good father who makes the right call based on what he wills and what he desires and how he loves us. Now, I want to be super clear right now. This is a very stern warning to respect the Holy Spirit and to remember that we should not make any efforts to manipulate his power for our own gain, but that should not keep us from honestly asking and praying and seeking after the miraculous. There are people, there are are whole denominations of Christianity who saw what Simon went through and they saw how difficult and how messy it was and they see examples like televangelists on, on TV who seem to uh, be all about their own reputation and status. And so we kind of throw it all out and say, oh, I'm just going to ignore those things. I'm going to ignore the supernatural. I'm going to ignore the miracles and God's power. 
our God is just as powerful today, right now, as he was back in the time in the book of Acts. And we need to believe in the power and the strength of God to break through in supernatural ways. We are called to believe that our God is still the healer. So that when a loved one, when someone in our church, when someone we know about is going through a horrible time, that we can in faith come to our good father who we know has all the power in the world and we can humbly say to him, Lord, we are asking for your healing. We are asking for your power. We are asking for you to break through. So we pray and we believe with boldness. But the key here is that we remember that ultimately he is a good king and he is going to make the right call based on his own sovereignty. Thank God that he is not a genie. He doesn't operate like a vending machine that we can just get anything we want, anytime we want it. No, instead, he is this incredible God who can see the way greater picture than us. And when we surrender our hearts and our lives to him, we can trust in his timing, in his goodness, and how he provides, and how he still today breaks through in incredible ways of power. So with that said, I've got a couple of next steps for us today. The first is that we are kind of getting close to the end here of the 40 days of prayer. And I want to encourage you to take advantage of this time. There are prayer prompts. There are classical prayers. There are wonderful things that can help us just to make Jesus the priority, to make seeking his heart the priority. And, and in, this, in this whole mindset of, of seeking the miraculous and the power of God in a humble and genuine way, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Ask him to, to blow our minds and show us his strength and his power in this world that is so broken, that has so much pain, that sees so much injustice, that we would believe and pray strongly enough that, God, you can break through and you can bring change and you can show us how strong you are. You can bring this nation onto its knees before you, God, and we ask this. So take advantage of the 40 days of prayer. And finally, we have baptisms available. In fact, um, this weekend we've got a couple people getting baptized. Such an awesome thing to see people stand up in front of their church and say, my life has been transformed by Jesus. It's been transformed by the gospel. So if you are like the Samaritans, who when they heard the truth and the message of Philip and they saw God strengthen his power, they wanted it. They were all in. There was a life that was transformed and I encourage you to sign up We've got information for you guys. You guys can go to jacobsvillechurch.church slash baptism. Fill out all the forms. We would love to celebrate with you. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your power and your might. And we ask, Lord, that we would have a healthy respect for your strength, for your power. Lord, not desiring to manipulate your spirit, or to just get things based on us wanting it hard enough or, or trying to twist your arm. But at the same time, God, I pray that we would not be calloused and we would not think that this stuff was, was so messy that we would no longer hope or believe or pray with boldness because we don't want to go there. No, Lord, I pray that we would have a healthy respect for you and that we would come to you with humble hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.